Hello everybody and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Got another very uh, information packed show for you this week where we're going to talk a little bit about uh, another, surprise surprise, another Adobe Flash bug. Uh, the VPN filter malware that's been affecting our routers is much worse than we thought. Uh, we're going to look at a California law uh, that's looking to follow Vermont's footsteps on uh, data, data privacy, uh, but is facing some serious opposition from tech companies. Also not a surprise. Uh, we're going to talk about a new smart lock that costs $99 and is billed to be unbreakable. Opens with your fingerprint. How cool would that be? Unfortunately, research figured out how to, researchers have figured out how to break that in about two seconds. So we'll talk about that. Uh, and finally, we'll wrap up with some disturbing news about Android devices. And there's more of them than you'd think. They're not just in smartphones. And uh, we're going to tell you what the problem is and what to do about it. Okay, first up. Adobe Flash, we've talked about this so many times, I almost hate to go back over it again, but Adobe Flash is a web technology that, al that originally allowed your web browser to do fancy animations and stuff like that, and usually in advertisements, but it's also games and things like that too that you could play within your browser. Um, Flash has been around a really long time, and for most of its existence, it has been a horrible, horrible security nightmare, um, full of bugs, and of course because back in the day, everybody had it because they wanted to do all these cool things on their uh, web browser. Uh, it was very easy to, to attack. So there's been yet another super critical bug found in Adobe Flash. So I've said it multiple times in this program, but I need to say it again. Just delete Adobe Flash. Uh, we've talked about it multiple times. Um, again, this is a plugin that's for your browser. It's something that you added at some point a long time ago, probably, and forgot about. Uh, so you'll need to go to your browser, whichever kind of browser it is, Firefox, Safari, uh, Internet Explorer, and find your uh, extensions or plugins, uh, find Adobe Flash if it's there, and at least disable it, If not, it, but I would just recommend at this point you entirely remove it. Flash is just really not needed anymore. It should just die. It should really just die. Adobe plans to kill it, I think, in two years, officially end support for it. But man, it's, it just should go now. Um, it's not needed anymore. And it's just uh, such a security risk. So the one specific difference here is with Chrome. That is the Google Chrome browser. The Google Chrome browser, because Adobe was so bad um, and keeping it up to date was so critical, Google's compromise on this was to build Flash directly into the browser. It's not a plugin that you can remove. Um, but it is something you can disable. So in Google Chrome, you have to go and find the Flash setting somewhere uh, buried in the preferences. Hopefully, I think there's a search now on most of these browsers' preferences because it's so hard to find all the different tweaks and knobs and things that you can uh, change. But if you search on Flash, you should be able to find that and set it to never. Um, I think your options are always never or ask me each time. Um, you know, ask me each time I think is the default now, um, which is good. At least it doesn't run without prompting you. But frankly, I would just remove it. Um, Adobe Flash is horrible. I'm not even going to bother going into the details about the security hole. Uh, it doesn't matter. You should just stop using Flash. So <laughs> that's my advice yet again. Uh, but, you know, this is bad enough that, you know, make sure that your friends know this stuff too. <laughs> tell, tell them about this too because you've just got to get rid of Flash. It's just horrible. Uh, next up, another little news tidbit. Uh, we talked in recent weeks about... Um, a, a router malware called VPN filter. And I'm honestly not sure why it's called that. I don't know who gives it these names, but uh, this is something that appears to be from Russia, uh, state-sponsored malware. 
while focused mostly against Ukraine, it has been seen in the wild all over the planet. Um, the malware infects your home router. So your Wi-Fi router, that's the little box you have somewhere in your house with little antennas on it, probably, uh, which is how you connect your laptops, your smartphones and everything to your internet within your home. And of course, this also affects small businesses and really any company that's got one of these Wi-Fi routers. When we initially talked about it, I think it was uh, three weeks ago uh, on this podcast. Uh, it was the podcast where we had Michael Kaiser talking about our summer, summer travel and security tips. Uh, if you go back and listen to that, you can get some more info um, on what the VPN filter was all about. At the time, I think we had said there may be like 16 different uh, varieties that were infected that we, that we knew of that were infected. Now that list is up to 71 and it is still growing. Uh, at this point, it'd probably be easier to try to list the, the ones that we know are not affected. Um, and given the way this list is growing, I, <laughs> uh, you know, my guess is you should just assume that your router is potentially infectable by VPN filter. Now, what does it, what does VPN filter do? So, uh, uh Unless, unless things have changed, that what it's really doing, it's, it's not really finding like bugs in the, the router firmware. That would actually be difficult because that would probably be something that would be different on every different router and manufacturer that's out there. Uh, instead, it's using more common techniques. Some of these routers, for some inexplicable reason, allow you to control and administer your router to change configuration and do that kind of thing from outside your home. Now, realize that the way a router works is it, the router is kind of like your your gateway to your home network. Uh, everything inside your home network can kind of talk to itself and see it, see other devices in your home network, and everything outside, the, the, meaning the broader internet, can't. There's there's a there's a valve there, kind of a one way valve. Um, but unfortunately, some of these routers have the ability to allow you to change your settings on your home router while traveling abroad. I, <laughs> I don't know why anybody would do this, uh, but it's one thing to have these have that capability. A lot of these routers actually have that capability turned on by default, which is just horrid. Because the way these things usually work is there's some some even if they're password protected, it's usually some default well known password for like the entire brand of router. Like all Linksys routers have the same admin password that you can that you can set. Uh, some of them don't even have any password set. So. Anyway, uh, back to the original point of VPN filter. So the, the solution was twofold. First of all, reboot your router. That's because the VPN filter thing was a two, actually a multi-stage malware thing where there was an initial little bit of shim uh, malware that created a beachhead on your device. And that little shim actually is not removable by just rebooting your router. However, the first thing that thing did is it went and talked to a couple different, what we call command and control servers, and those servers have been taken over by uh, the FBI and, and other companies, uh, security companies. So those are no longer effective. So basically, there's this little thing in there that when you first reboot your router, um, if it's there, it, it survives the reboot of your router and comes up and says, oh, I don't have my instructions anymore. Let me go refetch them. But now it can't do that. So even if you have that little nugget, that little first stage that's in your router, uh, a reboot won't fix that, but it, it will become ineffective after a reboot. Uh, all the other things that it would download uh, to make it um, do its nastiness uh, will be flushed 
when you reboot your router. So that's why you want to reboot your router. So to do that, and we talked about this in the other episode, just find your Wi-Fi router, the little box with the wire, the, the antennas on it probably. Find the power cord. It should be a little round white plug, or sorry, a little round black plug typically uh, on the back or maybe on the side of your router. Just pull it out. In other words, yank the power from this thing or unplug it from the wall, whatever's easier. Um, give it, I don't know, 30 seconds or so and then plug it back in. Of course, while you're doing this, you're not going to have home internet. So, you know, beware of that. It'll take a little, you know, another minute or so to reboot and come back up and then you'll have your internet back. Um, but that is the, the simplest way to try to, to get rid of this. And if you want to take it a step further, you could do two more things. You can, uh, lo- you need to log into the admin interface for your router and, and that is something that will take a lot of explanation. Go back and listen to um, the VPN filter episode, or you can find my blog on this. I'll put a, uh, a link to the show notes with some help uh, on how to do this. And and you could kind of you need to kind of poke around in your router preferences, your router configuration, uh, to find if there's any of these external things that are open. You need to shut those down. Uh, and the other thing is you need to change your router's admin password. It comes with something to, by default. Uh, you need to change that to something different. Anyway, so uh, that's kind of a long-winded way of saying it, but uh, VPN filter has gotten a lot worse. Uh, the short answer is the simplest thing to do is just go and reboot your router, pull the power, put, plug it back in. Uh, and if you want to take it a step further, check out my, my blog on this, which I'll put in the show notes. We spoke last week about Vermont. Um, I think it was last week. Um, passing a law, actually passing a law uh, that for its citizens that protects their data, at least to some degree. It's a, it's a great step in the right direction. And now California is looking to do the same. Um, let me catch you up a little bit by reading uh, an article from The Verge uh, about this uh, proposed law and the opposition for this law, which is the key part I want you to listen to. So again, from the article, as data sharing scandals continue to mount, a new proposal in California offers a potential solution. The California Consumer Privacy Act would require companies to disclose the types of information they collect like data used to target ads and allow the public to opt out of having their information sold. Now, some of the tech companies most prompt some of the tech's most prominent companies are pouring millions of dollars into an effort to kill the proposal. In recent weeks, Amazon, Microsoft, and Uber have all made substantial contributions to a group campaigning against the initiative, according to state disclosure records. The $195,000 contributions from Amazon and Microsoft, as well as $50,000 from Uber, are only the latest. Facebook, Google, AT&T, and Verizon have each contributed $200,000 to block the measure, while other telecom and advertising groups have also poured money into the opposition group. After Mark Zuckerberg was grilled on privacy during congressional hearings, Facebook said it would no longer support the group. Google did not back down, and more recent contributions suggest other companies will continue fighting the measure. The campaign to pass the California Consumer Privacy Act is almost wholly funded by a Bay Area real estate developer, Alastair McTaggart. To date, McTaggart has spent more than $3 million on the campaign. He argues that, in the personal data industry, quote, there's so much money and there, and there are very powerful corporations that really have an immense interest in keeping business as usual going and having no regulations, unquote. He started working on the initiative about four years ago after hearing a Google engineer say that the public would be frightened to learn how much data the company holds on consumers. So... This is where things are headed. This is where things are. Um, tech companies, particularly those companies that are that are advertising, whose revenue model is based on advertising, and therefore their interest in your information is paramount, 
do not want these laws passed. Do not want your data protected. Do not want anything impinging on their ability to gather as much information about you as possible and use that information to target marketing at you. Um, so it's no surprise that all these tech companies are trying to oppose this bill. Um, and they're going to be probably doing this in every single state because for whatever reason, we can't seem to get this stuff done at a national level. So a lot of these things are now happening at the state level. Um, and we as consumers have got to get out there and make sure our voices are heard because, I mean, think about it. If this guy is a multimillionaire, obviously, if he had not been out there supporting this with his own money, I, I just may never have seen the light of day. You know, that's why consumers need to get together and act as a group. Uh, if nothing else, you know, just get involved. Call your representatives. Tell them that you want your privacy protected. Tell them that you want control over your data. Tell them that this is going to be something that's going to affect you, how you vote in November and, and two years from now and every time. You know, go to the town halls, demand to know where they stand on these issues and let them know that this is something you care about. Um, until then, or, if, you know, if you happen to be a multimillionaire, then, you know, you could just directly fund these things yourself uh, and go head to head with some of these huge tech companies that are spending millions on their own to fight these bills. Anyway, politicians take money from these corporations, too. So that's that's a whole other topic that we need to fix, getting money out of campaign uh, financing. But until then... Uh, do your civic duty and get out there and be educated and make sure that your representatives know that this is something that matters to you uh, and will affect, you know, how you vote. And if they don't represent you and your interests, then you'll vote them out. Uh, so anyway, just want to keep you posted on these kind of activities and make sure, make sure we all understand um, what's going on here. And maybe you could also, if, uh, if you don't live in Vermont or California, uh, check and see what your state is doing on these things. Call your representatives and say and find out if there are any pending laws. Uh, unfortunately, you'll probably need to talk to the Democrats because my guess is the Republicans, for whatever reason, are not doing this. But Democrats are not above this either. Uh, we're very corporatist in this com in this in this country. Um, it's an equal opportunity thing because it all comes down to money, uh, which knows no party bounds. Okay, all right, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, anyway, I just want to keep you posted on what's going on there and uh, and let you know how to get involved with that. Next up, let's talk about a $99 padlock uh, that is supposedly completely unbreakable and yet not so much. Uh, there's a company, a Canadian company called Taplock. They've created this new lock called uh, for $99 bucks that uses a fingerprint uh, to open uh, instead of a combination or a key. So you don't have to remember the combination. You don't have to bring the key along. If you want to lock up your bike or whatever it is, all you got to do is put your fingerprint on it. Or uh, the other thing, and this is crucial in this story, you could also use the TapLock app to talk to the lock and unlock it. Sounds pretty cool, right? Um, the lock can supposedly hold up to 500 different uh, fingerprints. So, you know, you can have everybody in your family and then some be able to unlock your lock. Um, the whole thing happens in less than a second when you put your fingerprint on it. And you know, they've, built, they've built this $99 padlock as virtually unbreakable. Um, unfortunately that's not really the case because here's the trick. So the fingerprint is one angle, uh, that would require physical access. You'd have to be there with a fingerprint, supposedly a fingerprint that works, but you also can access it with the little app, uh, the little phone app, little smartphone app that you can use to unlock your phone as well. And that is the, the linchpin to this problem. It uses Bluetooth, which is that little wireless technology that we use for on our smartphones. We usually use it for things like headphones or, um, speakers, um, or, or other, uh, nearby devices that we want to connect to our phone without having these wires. Um, 
the problem is, and this is why security always comes down to implementation. The, the actual encryption and cryptography and security, you know, theory around this stuff is very good. It's the implementation that always bites us in the butt. And what happened here is these guys thought they'd be clever. You know, we're, we, you know, we need a passcode, some sort of a unique code for every lock because we couldn't just have one code for all locks. That'd be dumb. Because then if, the, you know, if there's a, if there's a master key for all of our locks, that would be bad. Because then if somebody gets that master key, well, then they could unlock all of our locks. So, okay, give them credit. They didn't do that. They, they said, let's, let's make a unique one for everyone. But how are we going to do that in a nice, easy way? Let's base the key for any given lock off of the Bluetooth identifier for that lock. Uh, this is what we call a MAC address. Um, I think Mac is media access control. Uh, anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, every, basically, almost every wireless networking device has got this thing called a Mac address. It's like a hardware ID, and it's unique. You do it for Wi-Fi, you do it for Bluetooth, um, and it's 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 meant to be publicly accessible. It's broadcast. Uh, this is something that it, it's like, here's my unique ID. If you want to connect to me, here's, here's how you address me when you want to talk to me on Bluetooth. Well, so they decided to make this very public remotely available ID, which is unique for every lock, they wanted to make that available or they wanted, they wanted to use that key to derive the unique passcode for that lock. And the researchers who looked at this did not take them long to figure out how to derive the key for the MAC address. So they were able to create their own app that would unlock any of these $99 unbreakable tap locks in two seconds. All it had to do was listen for that unique Bluetooth ID, uh, calculate what the, the passcode is for that particular lock, and use it to unlock the lock. So I bring these stories up just to, just to make you aware of why, why these things always fall apart and why, as you're buying these products and you see the claims that it's you know unbreakable, military-grade encryption, yada, 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 um, you got to take a lot of that with a grain of salt, and um, you really really kind of probably need to wait to see if security researchers poke some holes in this thing before you assume that it's as good as they say it is. By the way, Taplock says that it does have a fix for this. And of course, that requires you've got to update the software, not just their app, but you're going to have to update the software on the lock itself, which I don't know how they do that, but I guess there's some mechanism for doing that. Um, so I guess there's a fix for this. They They found some other method. Let's hope it's better than the one they started with. All right. And our last story of the week, which is going to lead to our tip of the week, is about Android devices. And Android is something we are familiar with uh, in terms, mostly think people think of smartphones. But Android, which is uh, uh, an operating system made by Google, runs on actually many, many devices. It's not just on smartphones. Uh, you'll find it on uh, tablets, um, a lot of set-top box type devices, like the ones from uh, Amazon, the Fire devices, Fire TV and uh, Fire TV Stick. Uh, I think they're Fire tablets and things like that. Uh, those are based on Android and the other set-top boxes as well. A lot of smart TVs use the Android operating system. It's, you know, it's it's free or it's got a long track record. Uh, so a lot of uh, different companies are using Android as the basis for a lot of their products. And Android, like, you know, any, you know, any software device, uh, as a software developer, we need to be able to get into that device and do some diagnostics and uh, maybe do some debugging and things like that. And so we have various ways to do that. Uh, and with Android, there's this thing called an Android Debug Bridge, uh, or ADB. 
Uh, and it's a feature that's been in Android since the beginning that allows developers to do kind of special things and get special access. And ideally, uh, this ADB, this debug bridge, is not enabled by default. It's only there during development time uh, as you're trying to you know get the bugs out of your system and testing and all that kind of crap. Um, but apparently it's not being turned off in a lot of these cases. So let me, there's an article here from the Hacker News. Let me read some of this. Uh, and there will be some technical stuff in here that I will explain at the end, so just kind of hang with me. So from the article, uh, despite warnings about the threat of leaving insecure remote services enabled on Android devices, manufacturers continue to ship devices with the open ADB debug port setups that leave Android-based devices exposed to hackers. Android Debug Bridge, or ADB, is a command line feature that is generally used for diagnostic and debugging purposes by helping app developers communicate with Android devices remotely to execute commands and, if necessary, completely control a device. Usually, developers connect to ADB service installed on Android devices using a USB cable. But it's also possible to use ADB wirelessly by enabling a daemon server at TCP port 5555 on the device. If left enabled, authorized remote attackers can scan the internet to find a list of insecure Android devices running ADB debug interface over port 5555, remotely access them with the highest root privileges, and then silently install malware without any authentication. Therefore, vendors are recommended to make sure that the ADB interface for their Android devices is disabled before shipping. However, many vendors are failing to do so. In a medium, that's capital M medium, in a medium blog post published Monday, security research Kevin Beaumont said that there are still countless Android-based devices, including smartphones, DVRs, Android smart TVs, and even tankers that are still exposed online. Quote, this is highly problematic as it allows anybody without any password to remotely access these devices as root, unquote. Root is the administrator mode, uh, and then silently install software and execute malicious functions, Beaumont said. The threat is not theoretical, as researchers from Chinese security firm, oh God, Chihu, I'm going to get that wrong, Q-I-H-O-O, Chihu 360's NetLab discovered a worm dubbed ADB.miner earlier, earlier this year that was exploding, ex, ah, that was exploiting the ADB interface to infect insecure Android devices with the Monero mining software. Okay, so that was, <laughs> let me back up and explain this. Being from the hacker news, it tends to be a little more technical than normal. Uh, so again, the ADB port, the ADB service, the Android debug service, um, is allows developers typically uh, ac special access to an Android device. So this could be your smartphone, your smart TV, a set-top box, Fire TV, whatever it is that that software developer is writing software for. As they're going through the process of writing that software, they need to test it. Uh, and they need to debug it and see what's going on before they release the software and release the device. So, you know, that makes sense that they would have special access. But by the time they ship that product, they're supposed to turn that feature off. <laughs> because if they leave it on, like the art article from Hacker News says, anybody can use that same interface at any time, particularly if they've enabled the remote version, uh, which is available on any, any, anything on the network that can see that device, uh, to control the device. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned this before. There's actually a search engine, kind of like Google, for hackers that will literally let you go to the internet using this. It's called Shodan, S-H-O-D-A-N. You can look it up yourself. It's not illegal. It's actually a public service that, that these guys are basically trying to say, hey, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff out there that's exposed. You guys need to fix this. And you can go out there and you can search right now for this. And, and we've already seen, these researchers have seen a huge spike 
uh, in uh, malware, you know, combing the internet, looking for things available on port 5555, which is the, um, uh, the device uh, networking port that ADB uses. Uh, let's see, what else did we talk about in here that was, oh yeah, root privileges. So I've mentioned this before on the podcast as well. We've talked about different levels of privileges. It's like on your computer, you know, you can set yourself up as an admin or a non-admin. I usually recommend that you have two accounts on every computer, at least uh, one that's admin and one that's non-admin and that you use your non-admin account for everyday purposes. That limits what what you can do, but it also limits the damage that malware can do if it gets on your your account. Um, so anyway, Android devices are no different. They've got different privilege levels and the, the highest privilege level, the one that can, you, if you have this level, you can do anything you want is called root. Um, and when you come in through the ADB debugging interface, you are root, you can do anything. So if you have a device that's on the internet that has this turned on, has this feature still enabled, has that ADB port still wide open. Anybody on the internet searching for your, for devices that, that respond to queries on that port will say, Oh, Hey, I can control that device. I can completely control that device. Uh, and the, the malware that we're talking about, of course, today, what, you know, what's the first thing someone's going to do when they find a device that they can compromise, that they can hack, they're going to try to make money. And the way they do that today is you install software that tries to mine cryptocurrency. So, uh, that's what's going on. So that leads directly to our tip of the week. Uh, and unfortunately, it's a little bit vague because unfortunately, all these Android devices are, are a little bit different. It's really not possible to tell uh, by looking at your device whether or not it's an Android device. I can tell you that the Amazon devices, all the Fire TVs, the Fire tablets, um, their products, those are all Android-based. Uh, obviously, if you have an Android phone, that's Android-based. Many uh, tablets that are not Apple products are Android-based. Uh, some smart TVs and some other set-top boxes run the Android operating system under the covers. Um, so if you're worried, if you've got smart devices, what you're going to have to do, and this is going to take a little snooping. Um, well, first of all, what you might do is you might just Google your device. You know, find out, uh, do some Googling. You know, is my Samsung smart TV model blah, blah, blah based on Android? Uh, something like that. And see if you can figure out um, whether or not your device is Android-based. If it is. You'll need to use the remote control or whatever the, the interface is for your device and go to settings, uh, try to find uh, in, like a general settings or it might be called debug or uh, it might be called developer settings, something like that. Um, it, it might be actually be straight up called Android debug bridge or ADB settings. Search around in your settings on your, on your device and see if you can find a setting for that. If you see that it is enabled, particularly if it's remotely enabled, um, turn that off. You have no reason to use that. There's no reason to keep that active. So for some reason, if you've got an Android-based device that has that turned on, you should turn it off immediately. Um, the other thing you might want to do, I guess, at that point, if you find that it's on, uh, poke around and see if there's any applications installed in your device that you're not um, familiar with and remove them other, otherwise. I know it's kind of vague. Unfortunately, it's one of those things where Android is so different and it's on so many different devices, it's hard to, and they don't often advertise that it's uh, the device is Android-based. Uh, it can be hard to find. And of course, every one of these devices can have their own different settings and preferences and configuration. Uh, so who knows how they might uh, put that in there. You're gonna have to do a little bit of digging, unfortunately. Um, on Android-based phones, it should be a lot more straightforward. I'm pretty sure it's uh, under settings and there should be a developer options or developer settings. Uh, on the Android device, and you can find it there and make sure that it's turned off there. Or you can just not use Android. <laughs> uh, 
uh, that's easy. It's easier said than done. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to things like smart TVs and DVRs and, uh, all those kind of products that, um, you again, they usually don't advertise that they're based on Android, but at least for phones, um, man, I'm telling you, I, I, I hate to keep ragging on Google, but, um, iOS is just way more secure. So if you have the opportunity, uh, to switch to an iOS based device, an Apple based device, uh, I would do that. Okay. That wraps up another show. Another one coming up next week. Uh, I'm still trying to line up some interviews. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And, uh, until then, as always, everybody stay safe and don't get caught with your drawbridge tower.